Hi, welcome to the Newberry Chronicles. This is a podcast in which two readers go through each and every Newberry medal winning book, and then we talk about them. I'm Michael. And I'm Rebecca. And I did that the first time correctly. Usually I have to restart and redo the intro. But at any rate, uh, this time we are talking about the 1927 or 28. Do you remember which day? I should know this. We're reading Gaynek, The Story of a Pigeon. Nineteen twenty-eight. Nineteen twenty-eight. It was in the 1920s. It was sometime that's like too long ago that I'm very enthusiastic about reading it since I got burned with the story of mankind. But, uh, so 1928's Gay Neck, comma, Gay hyphen neck, comma, The Story of a Pigeon by Don Gopal Mukherjee. Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't know how many people who are fluent in, um, you know, speaking, uh, languages that you know are not English are listening but uh neither of us are fluent in speaking languages that are not English and so we apologize for anyone who is listening and does not like our pronunciation of this Bengali name at any rate um Rebecca Mm -hmm. why don't you start us off and uh tell us about uh the author who to be honest, sounds like a very interesting... Well, I'm looking at your uh, bio on him, and this is like... We don't have to talk about all this stuff. half page <clears throat> it, But here's the thing. He is way more interesting than the book he read. The title of the book is a pretty good summation of the book itself, which yes. is in, in its own way kind of valuable Yes. to be able to so, summarize your book in that many words. We were like, this is probably going to be a really short episode because we don't have very much to say about this book, but this guy was really interesting, um, and kind of tragic so let's talk about him and then we'll talk about his book that is neither interesting but also a little tragic it's true it gets more interesting when it's tragic right exactly um okay so don gopal Mukherjee, which we watch a youtube video of how to pronounce his name so if we butchered it we're sorry um but he was the first successful indian man of letters in america and so what that is is like a, a like a word uh name that was given to, like, intellectuals. Which, this is an actual title. Yeah, and it was, like, dropped later. I don't know. It was, I read a little snippet of the history of that title. Um, Anyway, so basically an intellectual. He was the first Indian one in America that we know of. Um, The first successful one. He was also the first popular Indian writer in America and the first person of color to win the Newberry. He was born in Calcutta on July 6, 1890, to a Bengali Brahmin family. His family was of a high caste in India, and he wrote an an autobiography about this and his wandering years as an ascetic, I hope I'm pronouncing that right, and his life in America, and that book was called Caste and Outcast. It's a good title. It's better than Gaelic, but I would be much more interested in reading um, that, regardless. Newberry Medal, what were you thinking? Well, anyway, his father was a lawyer. He had to give up that practice because he got ill and he studied music instead, but he also um, officiated as a priest in a village temple, which it was very typical of sons of priests to live this ascetic lifestyle that um, Mukherjee did. Um... He left that life, though, to study at the University of Calcutta when he got, like, tired of that backward, um, it, it said something about that 
backward-looking form of reflection. Not like that was backward, but looking backward. Like that whole practice. Like he got tired of that, basically. Okay. So he studied at the University of Calcutta. This is where he came into contact with the idea of the Bengal resistance through his brother and his friends. His brother was actually jailed without trial from 1923 to 1927, and Mukherjee wrote a memoir about him titled My Brother's Space. So that was for Indian liberation? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that was my understanding. Okay. Because we, he was an advocate for that. Yes, yes. And... Um, we'll talk about this later, but his choices that he made to align himself with that movement, um, many believe is what led to him going to America and not willingly. And it also prevented him from ever going back to India permanently. Oh, shoot. So, yeah. Um, anyway, he was sent to Japan in the 1910s by his family to study industrial machinery and textiles. Um, he became very disillusioned by the assembly line method of production viewed it as really dehumanizing, and also had big problems with how quickly the factory like owners would replace workers that died with no regard for like why they might have died or like why I know he really was, he was. Um, anyway, so he went to San Francisco and he took his revolutionary ideas with him to America and became buddies with this group of anarchists, which he talks about in the outhouse outcast portion of his autobiography. Sorry, I don't know why I can't talk all of a sudden. He went to UC Berkeley and Stanford and got an AB degree in philosophy. What is an AB degree? I don't know. Advanced bachelor's degree. I was thinking some kind of associates, but I don't know if that would have yeah, keep been talking. a I'm gonna look in the 1910s. Anyway, um, he started writing in order to pay for college. Um, during that time, he wrote two books of poems and a musical play. And then he married um, Ethel Ray Dugan, and they had a son, Don Jr., in 1918. In Hold on. I, I, I interrupt this okay. regularly scheduled program for AB. this important message about AB. Oh, it is the abbreviation of a Latin tar- term, which, yet again, we do not know Latin on this podcast, mm-hmm. nor do we claim to. Uh, and so, Atrium Baccalaureus. Um, which means Bachelor of Arts. So Back when colleges decided that they were too fancy for the English language, <laughs> yes. uh, they decided to call the BA that. And the all you BA had to do was better. switch the letters and the abbreviation. So. It's true, and yeah. it's a much better abbreviation. To see that, say anyway, you're a BA, that's much better than AB. That's true. <laughs> that's true. So anyway, um, in the 20s, they moved from San Francisco to New York, and this is when his most prolific period of writing began. He wrote many children's books, and many of these were reworkings of stories that he had heard as a child. Um, others were inspired by his own experience in India as a child in the jungles of Bengal or as a yogi in various holy places. Um, there is some evidence to believe that his marriage was really rocky in the later years of life and also that he was feeling very isolated and marginalized in America and feeling kind of helpless to do anything to further the cause of the Indian independence movement. Um, And because he could never return to India permanently, like we talked about before, some people believe that his writings of India were a way for him to compensate for his absence there. In his later life, he dove really further into his spirituality um, as a result of this unhappiness and he had a greater sense of urgency to interpret and explain India to the West. 
Unfortunately, on July 14, 1936, he died by suicide, and this was 11 years before India gained independence. So that is Mukherjee. I kind of wish I had known all of that before reading Me the too. book because I think it would have given some resonance to a book that I didn't connect with very well. But we'll, we'll get to that in a second. I um, thought the same thing when I was reading his bio, and then I felt bad for not really liking this book. So speaking of this book, but, um, it's time for me to summarize it. And I did few, that pretty quick. You did it pretty quick. You didn't need to do it quick. You could have spent okay. more time because I'm worried that I'm not going to have a lot to say here because two reasons. One, as I mentioned before, because I'm a Western chauvinist uh, who doesn't know anything about India, uh, I did not find this book very interesting, and a lot of it just feels like just raising a pigeon. Um, but the second thing is, I read this book weeks ago. The and, other thing, oh, and the another other thing, thing that wasn't in his bio but was in the description of Gay Neck is he did raise pigeons as a boy. So he is okay. technically the boy that they, The boy is, is never named, is it? So that when it's first person, it's, it's meant to be He's him. He's talking yeah. about him, but he never did actually train pigeons for World War I. So we're, we're getting ahead of We're getting ahead of ourselves. I'm, okay, I'm sorry. Um, so anyway, I also read this book weeks ago, and we just now have had a, to- a chance to record this podcast. And so my memory, because I wasn't very engaged with the book, my memory of, of the events of this book is not as sharp as I'd like it to be. So uh, here comes my plot summary, which may or may not be riddled with um, gaps and uh, may or may not be misrepresenting certain parts of it. Um, but anyway, so... As we already talked about, like, this is about, it's mostly about this pigeon, Gaynek, who is called Gaynek. Um, Gaynek's not his real name. That's like a translation of uh, the name that he's given in India. This book takes place in India for the most part. Um, and um, it is about this boy who raises pigeons. And I guess this is like a common pastime in like early 20th century India. It's kind of given to be that, like, oh, everyone knows about raising pigeons. Here, let me tell you how I raised mine, sort of thing. Um, and the boy who's unnamed, but as Rebecca's indicating, is, like, autobiographical for uh, Mukherjee. Um, one pigeon that gets born is notable because he has these brightly colored feathers on his, like, chest and neck. And so they call him Gay Neck. Um, and uh, at any rate... Most of this book is about how they raise Gaynek and train him. Um, Gaynek has some parents, um, little, little daddy and mommy uh, pigeons, who are both murdered. Well, not murdered. One is lost in a storm, and then another is killed by a hawk. Um, and that's important because the deaths of his parents have like psychologically scarred Gaynek. Um, and he basically keeps running away, or flying away, um, and eventually they take him to these, like, monks in the Himalayas. There's, like, this extended sequence in the Himalayan mountains um, with some Buddhist monks. I think they're Buddhist, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and the book mostly is from the perspective of this boy who we really don't learn very much about. Like, it's mostly about what he did to raise this pigeon. But every once in a while, uh, we'll get a chapter or a, uh, or a sequence that is from the perspective of Gaynek. <laughs> Uh, himself, and I, I do love how the author transitions between like his narration into the 
the pigeon's narration, he says, and he repeats this phrase every time that he does it, um, that we are going to use the grammar of fancy and the dictionary of imagination in order to put our minds inside the minds of this pigeon. Um, and so this pigeon is afraid because of the violence that he's seen done to his parents, but then is kind of brought peace and maturity through like um, being cared for by, the, by these monks in the Himalayas. Um, but unfortunately, um, he can't stay there forever because eventually um, World War I starts and um, India, being a colony of Great Britain at the time, is of course dr- um, drug into World War I as well. And so um, two characters go, um, Gainek as well as uh, this guy named Gond the Hunter, um, who is, I think, is he meant to be a friend of... Um, I don't know if he's the friend, but it, it's more just like... He's, he's a person. Yeah. This is a person, and he goes to war, and he takes Gainek, and Gainek is trained as a messenger pigeon during World War One, and both Gond and Gainek both experience like severe trauma as a result of the violence in World War One. Gainek uh, is wounded... Um, Gond has, like, killed people and, um, is not, you know, psychologically well after this. And so then they return home, um, to India after the war, kind of, like, really rattled and, like, spiritually sick. Um, and they both have to, um, it's, it's this nice turn of phrase that it talks about, that they have to heal of hate and fear because Mm -hmm. the war has, like, basically, um suffused their spirits with, like, the hate and fear that is involved with killing other other life. Um, and so there's a sequence at the end of the book in which they both have to kind of come to grips with um, death, but also, like, become at peace with it and not fear death or not fear others anymore. Um, and I actually copied the last couple of sentences from the book because I think it... It ends, like, really nicely, and it gets, like, re- like strangely philosophical at the end, mm-hmm. given that a lot of the book seems to be, you know, almost like a guide for raising a pigeon. Um, but the narrator kind of steps in, and after seeing his friend, Gond, um, and Gainek uh, go through all their trauma, he says that, you know, we all have to learn how to cast out fear. Like, fear is, like, it's almost like a... I mean, this is like a Star Wars quote, but like George Lucas is like, you know, cribbing from Eastern religion here. But, you know, fear leads to hate um, and hate leads to violence, right, basically. Um, And uh, the narrator ends the book like this. Live courage, breathe courage, and give courage. Think and feel love so that you will be able to pour out yourselves peace and serenity as naturally as a flower gives forth fragrance. Peace be unto all. And that's the end of the book. Um, Although I will mention that uh, Gond the Hunter gets his own book later on. Oh, um, really? Yeah, I, I noticed this um, in uh, the guy's like list of books. What's it called? Gone the Hunter. Oh, <laughs> um, okay. <laughs> I will say that like looking at this guy's, I, I'm, I'm not curious enough to go seek these books out because like I mentioned, this was not the most engaging one, but um, he seems to write a lot of books in this um, style mm-hmm. in the terms of like looking at an animal um, and using that as a way to explore things. There's a book he wrote called Carry the Elephant. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Gone to the Hunter, which is a person, but I'm imagining that um, there's other stuff there. Um, there is uh, something called The Master Monkey. I don't really know what that is, but there's also 
Fierce Face, the story of a tiger. So like it seems like that this book is pretty representative of the kind of things that Mukherjee wrote. Um, One so, thing that is unique to him that I was reading, as opposed to like people like Kipling, is that he never anthropomorphized. I can never say that word. Anthropomorphized. Yes, say it. Anthropomorphized, yes, like giving that. animals like human traits. Right, right, right. I mean, I knew what it meant. I just can never say. You that know word. another difference between him and Kipling. What? I bet you he didn't feel the white man's burden. Okay, well, probably not. But anyway, I just thought that was interesting to know. As as much as he talks about animals, he does it in a different way, I think, than other writers. That is true. Do. Like, a lot of the book, and maybe part of why I think it wasn't engaging for me, is that, like, it's fairly realistic in depicting, like, the pigeon. And there's, like, drama and stuff. But it's not drama in the same way that, like, is in, like, let's say, Charlotte's Web mm-hmm. or something like that, where the the animals are given, like, these really vibrant psychologies. Like, Gaynek is a fairly... It's a pretty simple... He's a pretty simple character. Like, he's just right. a pigeon, right? Like, his brain is is pigeon-like. So, it's not like, you know, we're... Even in the sequences in which we're inside Gaynek's mind, you know, imagining what he went through, a lot of it is not very complicated psychology. It's like, first I flew here, and then I flew here, and then there was a hawk, so I flew here, mm-hmm. right? Like, it is... Yeah, like a lack of anthropomorphizing is a good way to put mm-hmm. it. Um, and let's 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 move on. What did you what did you like about this book? Rebecca? So I I really liked the ending being this anti-war novel of sorts. Um, that I will say the second half we both agree is way more interesting than the first half. Because yeah, the second um, half is where he starts training for the war. Yes, and then going to war. I. I really like the themes that you talked about, about fear being what leads to death and the killing of one another. Um, everything at the Lama series, is that how you say it? The, I don't know. Okay, the place where the monks are in the Himalayas. Everything, every scene with them, I think, is really peaceful and beautiful. Um, although I was really tired talking about those eagles in there. Yeah, there's a lot of... One thing I kind of skipped out on is Gaynek frequently goes and flies around places mm-hmm. and encounters other animals, like other birds and such. And I skipped over that because I wasn't ever... I wasn't sure what to say about that because it's just yeah. like... I just think the care that these monks and Gond both have for these little animals, you know, like this desire to them of their fear and this desire for the I don't know it's just a, a sweet a sweet thing um I I love I loved them talking about the urge to heal oneself of fear before being able to help society or one another um I think the illustrations are really cool in this book I, I don't know if we mentioned that the illustrations are very nice and they're yeah they're like I wish I could they're, they're these ink drawings that are very stylized they're black and white like there's no shading or anything like that it's like these really stark blacks and whites um and they they are um i don't know how would how would you describe them i'm sure there's an art style that describes this but i don't know um the 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 illustrations are very striking and ornate Mm -hmm. um and i really like them the the illustrator's name is boris artziabashev Maybe. <laughs> Again, disclaimer uh, about that. Um, at any rate. I really like the illustrations. Um, another scene that really sticks out in my mind is near the end where um, 
Gond has to kill this wild buffalo that is, like, killing a lot of people in the town. And This is after he comes back from World War I, right? Right, right after he's fully healed. And um, he, he has a deep love for, and I don't think he actually ever killed anybody in the war. He didn't? I do know. Okay. I don't know for sure, but I do know he had to come back because the conclusion was, like, he's... He's like he was like a really good spy when he was with mm-hmm. Gaynek and trying to figure out where the Germans were and everything. And that part of the book takes place in France, FYI. I don't know if that's important. But I um, think it is important in the sense of they leave India is yeah. a place of tranquility for right. them and they leave right. to go to Europe, which is this violent, harsh place. Yes. And so um I, I what they said was he is not a killer, and so he was discharged from the army, basically, but, like, honorably, because he had done his task. And he got wounded near the end of that scene in France, and so he's sent back, and he doesn't have to go back to war. But anyway, um, there's this wild buffalo that is killing a lot of people in a town nearby, and he thinks that he can avoid killing him like he thinks that he's going to be able to capture him and not kill him but he ends up having to because um the kid that trains Gaynek I guess we can just call him Don because that's who he is it's like trying to help him lasso the um buffalo but he only gets the rope around one of his horns so Gon has to kill him or the buffalo will kill them yeah and it's this really tragic scene of like valuing the lives of the townspeople but also understanding that this is a creature that has life and purpose and meaning and we're taking that from him and so Gon has to work through that and grieve that life it's just it's a very sad but nuanced scene and which you can really see the deep value that these men have for other life and I just think that that's a beautiful thing and and also, like, I know this is about animals, but, you know, any any life that is lost, lost is one to mourn, even if that life was taking those of others, you know? And I think that that is just a beautiful sentiment that we don't really know what to do with sometimes as humans that have been through deep pain or heartache at the hands of other humans. And so I just think all of those themes are really great and um it it makes the book more worthwhile to me but anyway I agree I, I, I think I would say the same things positive for myself um and I think you said it a lot more um eloquently than I would um because I don't know if I would name something besides those things that you already named as something that I liked um it, I, it was just, a I just was thinking about this now, and knowing that he died by suicide and seeing the themes in this book, like, it makes it all the more tragic because at yeah. some point, you know, I don't know, some at some point he lost that hope, and that's just deeply right. heartbreaking. Yeah, and I wish I had, um, like I said, I wish I had read about him as a person before I read this because I remember reading this being very caught off guard by how... Um, like high-minded it gets by the yeah. end because a lot of the book didn't seem that way to me. But I'm, I'm wondering if I missed stuff at the beginning or maybe I just wasn't thinking about it in the right way. Regardless, the stuff that you said I agree with and that's all like 
the back end of the book. Like, not even the back half. Like, the back, like, 30 pages, maybe, or something like that. Except um, the illustrations. Those the illustrations good. are good throughout. Um, and also, when I was bored with the book, the illustrations were good because they made the book go by faster. Because mm-hmm. there are these big, like, not just full-page illustrations, but it's like a splash page where it's, like, two pages open in a book together mm-hmm. making an image. It's like really nice. Like another book from the 1920s, Story of Mankind. That was what I liked That's about true. those illustrations. That is true. Um... So, yeah, I agree that this is, like, you know, very striking by the end in terms of, like, the philosophizing and the anti-war. And it's not, it is an anti-war novel, but it's, like, a much bigger idea than that. It's more like a war-mourning novel. Like, let's mourn that war exists and has to exist because man is fearful of man and is acting violently Right, but I think that it's bigger than that because, like, there's that dichotomy between the war and the tranquility, and Mm -hmm. even, like, Gainek before the war has to, like, learn how to be healed of fear from, Mm -hmm. like, his parents' deaths, Mm -hmm. Um, and the way that, like, India is this place, this kind of anchor where um, they are able to, like, find peace and, like, kind of spiritual healing as opposed to abroad where uh, they experience violence and trauma. Like, I think that that, I don't know, it seems to be, that that's more um, more tragic even, like, when you consider that um, uh, Mukherjee himself was not able to return to India, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But, I don't know, there is a thread throughout that's not just about war, but it is about, like, in general, like, spiritual... Health, like the, mm-hmm. this kind of darkness that drives people to violence. Um, what is the root of that? And this book is like locating that in like fear and trauma, mm-hmm. basically. And I like that idea, and it makes me wish I liked the book more, which is maybe mm-hmm. a good transition <laughs> to what did you not like about this book? Yeah, I mean, it's just boring for me. It's There's no dialogue hardly at all except... Well, there's no dialogue. Well, I don't know. There are a there's few things. It's any. not like a lot of back and forth. There's not really, there's and not too many scenes. Another point that you already made is that I am reading this from a Western modern perspective, and I don't really love books about animals in isolation of them furthering the plot of their human characters, but that is not the point of this book, and the human characters don't really have a plot. I mean, other, other than Gond, and he, I don't know, he's... Not in the book a lot. So, um... There the is, end- like, I, your your point about us being, like, kind of Westerners, like, I think is interesting because there's this little, like, aside on the Wikipedia page for this book that there's a literary critic, um, I think it's a literary critic at least, uh, Mina G. Karana, um, who says that the novel is what she says one of the very, one of the few children's novels from the West or Indian authors to explore the Himalayas as a spiritual setting Mm -hmm. as opposed to simply just like a generic like adventure setting or something and I don't feel like I have a lot of access to what the book is trying to do there like I can recognize when they go on their little pilgrimage to the Himalayas that's like Mm -hmm. the archetype of like going on a journey to like a spiritual to gain spiritual wisdom but like as a as like a place, like a real place, and the, that place having significance to them, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't really think I understand it or what this book is trying yeah. to say about that, and that's definitely ignorance on my part. Yeah, and just a different. I mean, 
Yeah, it's ignorance, but also I like what you said about not knowing how to access that, like whatever the book is trying to do, because I think it's doing it really well. It's just not doing it for me. I don't know. Like, I just, I don't know how to. For a while, I was thinking, this dude is literally just talking about pigeons the whole time. And then, like we said, by the end of the book, it comes together and you're like, oh, so this wasn't just about pigeons. But I don't know how to go back to the rest of that book and say, oh, I don't even know if metaphor or allegory is the right term for what he's doing. It's, just, it's like a totally different framework and mindset completely than I've ever, I don't know, like used to access a children's book. So it's just hard for me to know. I don't know. It was hard for me to enjoy it. I'll just say that. I feel the same. So. I feel the same. And I feel like it's not a book that I feel any great, like, antipathy toward right no it just wasn't engaging and i'm glad i read it and i'm glad that i learned about the author i agree with you i wish i would have known about him before i read the book and his story and maybe maybe some of those themes would have come through a little sooner but um yeah thumbs up or thumbs down that's gonna be a no for me dog yeah i want it to be a thumbs up but and if it if the if the whole book was like the second half of the book, it'd probably be a thumbs up. But the beginning... And when we say beginning, I think we should stress at least half of the at book. At least half of the book. Possibly just more. so, to me, so incredibly boring. I could not... I could not recommend this to somebody that just wants to, like, enjoy a book. Right. I do think that, like, this is a book that, like... Critics and historians could probably get a lot out of, right? Oh, like yes. you mentioned all these first studying it, I think in like the context of larger history, I think would be really valuable. But just reading it without right. that context, I just I Yeah. We I would talking, recommend another book. We were talking to a friend um, a little while ago and uh, she was asking us what we were reading for our podcast. We mentioned this book and she mentioned having read this as a child but not having a lot of strong memories about it. And I feel like I will probably not have strong memories about this either, like, in mm-hmm. a little while. Um, but I am curious, like, how an actual child would respond to it. Um, I The language is a little bit more elevated than, like, you know, for instance, like, a four-year-old, like our son, would appreciate. But I'm wondering if there is an age that this would appeal to people just simply by virtue of it being about animals or something like that. I think middle school. I think, which yeah. is, I think most of the Newberry books are aimed toward middle schoolers. And I could see a middle schooler reading this. I don't know. I could see people that really, like kids that are really interested in nonfiction and learning about things, like I think could really get into this, this book. This is a lot like nonfiction. That's yeah. a good point. Yeah. Um, which we're not big nonfiction people. Let's speak for yourself. We, I mean, we read them, but like as kids... Well, as kid, as a kid, I was not picking up nonfiction books. I read nonfiction. Okay. Well, I will baseball. speak for myself. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, we did want to make a note. I don't think that they had announced this the last time we did the podcast, but we did want to name the newest Newberry. That's right. Breaking recipient. news on the Newberry Chronicles. The new Newberry. Yeah. So this was the. Um, I almost said 1922, no, the 2022 novel um, that was announced this year, a couple weeks ago. Do you have it pulled up? Um, yeah, I do. Oh, fact. I have it right here. Free Water is the name of the book, and it was written by Amina Lukeman Dawson. And this, y'all, this was like her first book. 
Wow. So she wrote this book and won a Newbery Award. In some ways, that's incredible, (laughs) and I'm very happy for her. But in other ways, what an incredible burden for writing your second book. (laughs) Yeah. So anyway, I I don't know really anything about the book yet, but I just wanted to put that out there for everybody. Coming someday to the Newbery Chronicles is free water. Yeah. Um, You heard it here first, maybe. Do you want to announce our next book? Yeah, so obviously this was in the 1920s, so we're moving into the 1930s yet again. And the book that we're doing this time is uh, the 1937 medal winner, which is called Roller Skates, and it's by Ruth Sawyer. And the thing that I just read to you is the extent of my knowledge of this book. And neither of us have read it, so. Yeah, so we'll see. This is a a wild leap into the unknown. Uh, What's going to be in Roller Skates? I don't know. I don't know. We'll we'll see, and and you too, uh, dedicated listener, will will see as well. So that's all I think for today, right? Yep. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Wait, 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 wait. What? Don't forget to email us oh. at newberrychronicles at gmail dot com. Now we say goodbye. <laughs>